Joshua's primary concern is not the destiny of the children of Israel. Joshua's primary concern is God's reputation amongst the nations. And my friends, I don't think we think about this too much. I think we have a tendency to think, what does this mean for me? And we never think, if I do this, what does this mean for the witness of Jesus in our community, in our world? That's such a huge shift in thinking to consider how your choices would reflect on God's reputation in your community and the world. Like Pastor Daniel says today, you're not used to thinking this way. Usually your first priority is yourself, but making your witness for the Lord your primary concern changes your starting point. Then you'll begin to see life in a whole new way and God will harness this new perspective for your good and His glory. Now here's Pastor Daniel in Joshua chapter 7 as he continues his message, A Crushing Defeat. The children of Israel are having these great highs and these epic lows. They go from being overconfident to literally their hearts are melting away like water. And that's not a healthy thing. Now, from there... It tells us in verse 6, Then Joshua tore his clothes, and he fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening. This is verse 6. He and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their head. And Joshua said, Alas, Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Oh, that we had been content and dwelt on the other side of the Jordan. Oh, Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns its back before its enemies? For the Canaanites... And all the inhabitants of the land will hear it and surround us and cut off our name from the earth. Then what will you do for your great name? Now, right away, what we realize is that not only Joshua, but all the elders of the Israel, they expressed great grief and displeasure. All of these words, the tearing of your clothes, falling to the earth with your face down putting dust on your heads. All of these were biblical ways of showing grieving. Now, I know it might sound extreme. You might, well, so you ripped your clothes. This was long before, you know, people had walk-in closets, you know, and you had, you know, free shipping from your favorite clothing company, you know, and you have your spring wardrobe and your summer wardrobe and your fall wardrobe and, you know, and you have like, I really, you know, I like this kind of, you know, hybrid texture on my skin. It really works with my color palette. It's like, this is long before all that. It's like people had like one set of clothes and for someone to literally tear their clothes was a sign of absolute grief and displeasure. This is the worst thing that could happen. And for them to fall down on their face, completely prostrate before the Ark of the Covenant and to literally put dust on their head. I mean, nobody does that anyway. But this was the sign, like, I am humiliated lower than the dirt. That's what that means. That's why this whole idea of fasting and sackcloth and ashes, it literally spoke of us saying, we are so humbled. We are so humiliated. 
And then they begin, they're not only content to be humble before the Lord, but Joshua, as the leader, is seeking to understand. He wants to intercede for the people. He's seeking now, on the other side of a crushing defeat, to understand what on earth is God doing right now? Now again, what I think is beautiful here is that Joshua's response to the defeat is correct. He humbles himself before God and he seeks the Lord. But you realize, if he would have done that beforehand, we wouldn't be here. So either way, at some point, people find themselves humbled before God. But one is after the defeat, and it could have been before the defeat. Now, here's the thing for each one of you. Either way, at some point in your life, you are going to bow your knee to Jesus. You're either going to bow to him now of your own volition, responding to who the Lord is, and you will be saved. Or if you say, I will not put my faith and trust in Jesus, at some point when Jesus returns, you will bow the knee to him anyway because he rightfully deserves you to bow the knee, but it won't be unto salvation. It will be unto judgment. Now, I don't believe that because I like it. I believe it because my Bible teaches it and Jesus is real and he's alive. Now listen, but I realize that for some of you, you hear that, you're like, yeah, so like, that's just a scare tactic. No, no, it's not a scare tactic. That's just stone cold reality because Jesus is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And if I, as a rational, hopefully mostly logical person, if I know at some point I'm gonna bow the knee to Jesus, if I either do it now unto salvation and an abundant life and an experience of who the Lord is and the presence of his Holy Spirit, or if I'm not gonna do it and I'm gonna end up bowing the knee later only to realize that he was always who the Bible said he was and I'm gonna enter into a lost eternity, why would I not want all the benefits of knowing God here and now? because either way you're going to bow the knee and listen I'm not trying to be flippant or coarse but if you have not said yes to Jesus will you do it tonight will you do it today will you not wait one more minute I mean what's holding you back from allowing Jesus to be who he is your Lord and your Savior the one who came on a rescue mission for you. See, listen, Jesus said, I did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save it. Why? Because the world is condemned already. See, Jesus' coming does not condemn the world. The world was already condemned. He came to save it. And he wants to save you. I mean, what else does God have to do to bring salvation into your life? I mean, Jesus came. The God of all glory took on frail, fragile human existence, lived a perfectly lived life, always did those things that pleased his father, and then was lied about, was falsely accused, and was killed, and he was the perfect person. But then, not even enough that he was crucified, he conquered sin and death by being resurrected from the dead. He's done everything other than make you believe it. And he's saying, will you let me save you? It's like if you had a terminal disease and you go to the doctor and the doctor's like, yeah, look, you know, you got a terminal disease. You're like, well, no, I don't. He's like, no, you do. And the doctor's like, look, all you need to do is take this prescription. Just take this and you're going to be made totally well. Well, I don't really believe that I have a terminal disease. I mean, who are you to say? I know you're a doctor, but like, I don't believe in your credentials. You know, I believe in Eastern medicine. I don't believe your Western style or whatever, right? And if you die, 
Is it really that doctor's fault? All you have to do is take the medicine. And Jesus is saying, look, you have a terminal disease. It's called the sin nature. Left up to your own devices, you're going to live in rebellion against God. And so am I. And he's saying, all you need to do is put your faith and trust in my son, and you will be saved. That's all he asks us to do. Someone would say, well, how do you know you're right? What if you're wrong? I'm like, well, if I'm wrong, then I've lived following the greatest person who ever lived, and I'm living a life of love and joy and peace and service to humanity. It could be way worse, right? Like, I could be in a much different spot because following Jesus leads you in that direction. But then I always say, but what if I'm right? Then what? And they say, so listen, I believe that there's some of you right now, you've been sitting on the fence with Jesus. You're interested in Jesus, but you've never bowed the knee. Make today the day that you finally allow Jesus to take his God-given rightful place in your heart as Savior and Lord. See, Joshua finally does what he was supposed to do in the first place, which is inquire of God for what God would have. And Joshua, in his intercession, he asks a number of questions because he's perplexed at what's happening. He's saying in verse 7, Alas, Lord God, why have you brought the people over the Jordan at all? He's like, why did you bring us in this promised land? Are you just going to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites? Are they just going to destroy us? Oh, that we had been content. He's like, Lord, if that's your plan, then we should have just stayed on the other side of the Jordan River. You ever feel like that when you're following Jesus sometimes? Like, Jesus asked you to take a step of faith and everything kind of goes bad. And you're like, um, so why am I here right now? Right? Sometimes it feels like that when we follow God because everything doesn't always go the way we think it's going to go. It made me laugh. A friend of mine sent it to me, and it was two pictures of Samuel and L. Jackson from these two movies. And the first one, he's got a big smile on his face. He's all, like, ready for, to go to town, and it says, first year of ministry. You know, he's all like, I'm going to change the world. It's going to be great. And the next one, he's all haggard looking. He's wearing, like, a beat-up shirt. He's got crazy look in his eye. He's totally bald, and it says, 20th year of ministry. You know, and the idea is like you get in and like, this, I'm going to change the world. It's going to be great. And then you're in it for a while and you're like, you know, a little messed up. And sometimes following Jesus can be like that. Like you get saved, you're like, this is going to be amazing. Oh man, I'm a Christian. I mean, I got the Holy Spirit in me. It's going to be awesome. And then like two weeks later, there's spiritual warfare and all these things are going on. And you're just like, what am I doing? You're like, what did I, anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yes. Because sometimes God's ways don't make a lot of sense, but it makes sense that it doesn't make a lot of sense because God is God and we are not. And God is all knowing and God is all powerful and God has a perfect plan and us, not so much. Not so much. And so God's plans and purposes have a different way of going than we expect it to go. And Joshua just doesn't get it. He's like, Lord, if this is what this is going to be, we should have just stayed back on the other side. You know, and then he says in verse 8, he's like, well, if it keeps going like this, oh, Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns its back before its enemies? He's like, we just fled from Ai. 
What's going to happen when we run from everybody? He's like, because then the Canaanites are going to hear about it. And all the inhabitants of the land, they're going to surround us and they're going to kill us all. And then the big question, Lord, what will you do for your great name? Now, what I love about this and what I think you need to grab hold of is Joshua's primary concern is not the destiny of the children of Israel. Joshua's primary concern is God's reputation amongst the nations. And my friends, I don't think we think about this too much. I think we have a tendency to think, what does this mean for me? And we never think, if I do this, what does this mean for the witness of Jesus in our community, in our world? And I think because culturally, Christianity here in the West has been so focused on this is what I get from God, not this is what my testimony is amongst the nations. That's why Christianity needs, and Jesus needs new PR in the 21st century. Because when people think of Christianity, they do not think of the good and gracious and loving God who redeems anyone who would believe. They think of judgmental, angry people who are like a social club that hate everybody else. And I think it's because we've stopped thinking my life is meant to bring glory to my king. And I want to live in such a way that my testimony reflects how great a savior I follow. And we all, when we hear something like that, should say, oh Lord, amend my ways. Oh Lord, Help me to take different steps. Lord, search my heart and know me. And if there is any wicked way in me, lead me in the way of everlasting. Because we're all in process, aren't we? I mean, anybody here have a perfect day today? (laughs) No. You know, it's like we're all in, God's doing a work in us. And so we want, as we hear an exhortation like that from the scriptures, we want to be able to take the next step and say, oh Lord, will you adjust me? Will you continue the renovation that you're doing in my heart so that my life might be a testimony of who Jesus is amongst the nations, not just in our community, but also in our world. Because God is interested in the message of Jesus reaching the ends of the earth. Now, from there, look what it says in verse 10. We start to get an investigation into what's going on. Look what it says. It says, so the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Wow. I mean, remember, Joshua's got his clothes ripped. He's got dirt on his head and he's laying down. And after Joshua's praying, he says, get up. I love that about the Lord. The Lord's like, man, all this like laying down, like we got something to do. Get up. Why do you lie thus on your face? Israel has sinned and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. For they have even taken some of the accursed things and have both stolen and deceived and they have also put it among their own stuff. Therefore, the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies but turn their backs before their enemies because they have become doomed to destruction. Neither will I be with you anymore unless you destroy the accursed from among you. Get up, sanctify the people and say, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow. 
tomorrow, because thus says the Lord God of Israel, there is an accursed thing in your midst. O Israel, you cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the accursed thing from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought according to your tribes. And that shall be that the tribe which the Lord takes shall come according to families. And the family which the Lord takes shall come by households. And the household which the Lord takes shall come man by man. Then it shall be that he who is taken with the accursed thing shall be burned with fire, he and all he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord and because he has done a disgraceful thing in Israel. So now Joshua learns exactly what has happened. Joshua learns that their defeat is not because somehow God is fickle in what he's doing. He learns that they have been defeated because they have rebelled against God and God has withheld his victory from them on purpose. Now, if you recall in the story of Jericho, we embrace the tension in the Bible that God actually wanted all of the people there and all of the stuff to be set apart for God. The people got no spoils from it. This great victory, the people got no material benefit from it, right? And what we find now is that there is one household, one family who did not honor God's desire. And that's why this is all happening. See, what's gone on is it says, because of what's gone on, not only will the children of Israel not win any battles, they're doomed to destruction. And I'm not going to be with you anymore because you've rejected me. Wow. See, what we learn here, and in a lot of ways, if you recall from the book of Acts, the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Do you remember that? Where everybody was selling their things to provide for the needs of the community. Ananias and Sapphira did as well. But they pretended to give all the money and they didn't. They really held some back. And remember, they both died in the presence of the early church. And it sounds really severe, doesn't it? I mean, they were being generous. They just weren't being completely truthful about their generosity. But what you find often in the Bible is that when God is doing something fresh, his judgment for blemishes or rebellion or sin within it is severe to make a case study for people to realize how holy God is and how when God is doing something unique, it needs to be protected. And any sort of rebellion would have dire consequences. So he tells them, listen, I want you to get up and I want you to sanctify this people and say, set yourselves for tomorrow because there's an accursed thing in the midst and we're going to find it. And we're going to have you come by tribe. When I choose a tribe, then it's going to come by family. And then when it comes by family, it's going to come by households. And then when it comes by household, it's going to come by man. And we're going to show you exactly who did this. Now, I think it's important at this point to make sure that you realize that God's not angry with you today if you're in Christ. It's important to put this in place because this all happened before the cross of Jesus Christ. You have to get really deep into the cross to understand this because a lot of people, they forget that we're on the other side of the cross of Jesus. At the cross of Jesus, Jesus received all the punishment for all the sins of all humanity. And if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus, 
God is not angry with you at all because God took out all of his anger with the mistakes that you have made in the past or you will make in the future. He's already given that to Jesus and God doesn't believe in double jeopardy just like the American penal system. And they get that from the Bible. So it's very easy to read this and sometimes you'll be in church and someone will come up and they have a prophetic word about how God is so mad at his kids. No, he's not. He loves his kids. And when God's kids are in the wrong, God is not angry. He loves us enough to chasten and correct us because a father who loves his kids does that. But he's not angry because Jesus received at the cross all of God's anger. So I want to make sure I put that in place because some of you be like, well, maybe I have the accursed things and maybe God hates me and he's angry at me. No, no, no. If you are in Christ, you are beloved of God. And God, when he saved you, he knew that the day he saved you, you weren't going to get everything right every single day after that. He knew you were going to get crazy things wrong. I mean, our Bible is full of people who love God, who walk with God and made really dumb decisions. Isn't it true? I mean, David, a man after God's own heart, he made some mistakes. Anybody know his mistakes? Yeah, there's a lot of mistakes there. Moses used mightily of God. Did he make some mistakes? Absolutely. Abraham, the patriarch of faith, right? He lied that his wife was his sister not once but twice. You go through all the characters in the Bible, you realize that they loved God and walked with God, but they were imperfect. But God still used them. So it's important for us to realize and for you to realize, because I think for some of you, you're running from God, even though you believe in God, because you believe that God is angry with you for the mistakes that you've made. And I'm here to tell you that all of God's anger at the mistakes you made, Jesus joyfully received in your place on the cross. And God's only emotion for you is love and wanting your best interest. And you need to not let your mistakes drive you from him, but drive you to him. You running from God because of your failings, that's the work of the enemy of your soul who hates you and wants you to live a life deceived and lost. Jesus, when you say, Lord, do you love me? He says, I love you this much. I gave my life for you. And he knew all that would go on. He knew the good days and the bad days. He knew the great victories and the crushing defeats. And he says, just come. Just come to me. He's not angry with you. He's not cutting you off from the people. He wants to do work. Even in cases where a child of God is in such stern rebellion against God that the church has to exercise what is called church discipline, where you put somebody out of church fellowship, that's not meant to be punitive. It's meant to be restorative. You read about it. First Corinthians chapter five, there was a man who was living in sexual immorality with his father's wife. And Paul says, you need to put that person out of fellowship. But what's amazing is by the time you get to second Corinthians chapter one and one and two, that person has repented and Paul's like, you're supposed to take him back. That's why you put him out of fellowship in the first place. So they would be restored to their relationship with God so that you can receive him again. In some ways, church discipline is supposed to be like the timeout chair in my house. Jesus is Pastor Daniel closed out this message with the reminder that God knows everything about you, all the highs and all the lows, your greatest triumphs and your greatest struggles. He sees your biggest secrets and your deepest pains. He knows it all and still loves you more than you can imagine. So don't be afraid to run to him. He's waiting for you with open arms. 
Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel here. I just want to say thank you for tuning in. I'm so stoked you're a listener of Jesus is Real Radio, and I know Jesus has amazing plans for you. I'd love to hear the story of how God's working in your life. Give us a call here at Jesus is Real Radio at 360-256-4655 or email me at real at danielfusco.com. We're so glad we can be a part of your life through the ministry of Jesus is Real Radio. Would you like to be a part of what we're doing? We would like to ask that you prayerfully consider becoming a financial partner of this program. Your contribution, no matter the size, will be used to reach people with the gospel message. Find out more at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Just click on Give. Thank you for partnering with us. Join us again when Pastor Daniel continues to unpack all that happens as the Israelites conquer the land that God had promised them. After a horrific defeat at Ai, God tells Joshua it's time to go back and take the city. And Joshua is understandably freaked out about this. So once again, God says, don't be afraid. Isn't this something that we all need reminded of on a daily basis? God is with you. You don't have to worry. He has your back and he's working for your good and his glory. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through this series called Conquest. That's next time on Jesus Is Real Radio.